Even if it wasn't a drop, it had no chance of being a touchdown. <laughs> that was called by the team owner down at the sideline. That's their <laughs> call. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And we have an absolute massive jam-packed show for you today. We're going to hear from... Marquis Goodwin, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, and Fred Warner, linebacker, also from the San Francisco 49ers. Why are we talking with them? Oh, because Willie is a 49ers fan, and the 49ers are rolling at the moment. We'll round up week six in the NFL, including the Tottenham game. We'll speak to former England and current Saracens fullback Alex Good, and we'll have a little bit of red zone on the radio gold for you. This is... The Gridiron Show. This is The Gridiron Show. Ollie Hunter in the studio and I'm alongside the wonderful Matthew Sherry Gridiron, editor of Gridiron, and Talk Gav, Will Gav, man of the autograph himself. Hello, boys. Not, Not described as wonderful, you'll notice. Well, man of the autograph. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's implied. He give you a description, Will. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the one that you want it to be. He'll describe you how he sees, sees it. <laughs> you, are br- <laughs> you are brilliant and wonderful in equal measure, Will Gavin. Yeah, screw you, buddy. Whoa! <laughs> the shade has <laughs> started already. I, I, I did notice that not only was your intro twice as long as it should have been, yeah. but uh, you <laughs> completely failed to negate to mention in any way, shape or form the Green Bay Packers fluking their way to 5-1 and one last night on Monday Night Football. I mean, there was some... Can we get into that early? Uh, like, oh, yeah. I am absolutely livid still, and I watched it about six hours ago. There were some dubious calls, to say the least. I counted, <laughs> I counted, I counted at least four... Horrendous calls from the zebras, just dreadful, dreadful stuff. Um, I'll, well, shall we? Shall we? I'll go with one, and I'll leave the the two obvious ones to you two. But the the throw from Aaron Rodgers, the catch to Alan Lazard, who's come in for um, for Geronimo Allison, who went off with an HIA and uh, and concussion protocols and all of that. But the cornerback, I forget his name, touched Lazard at the half-yard line. It wasn't reviewed. It wasn't spotted by the 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 refs or the, the guys in the booth. So it, the ball should have been put there. I mean, Green Bay obviously would have put it in because something else would have been missed by the referees. But that was one of at least four bad calls. Will Gavin next. Well, it's just simple to me. Any penalty that can result in 15 yards either way should be in some way reviewable because we see it time and time again where these bang bang plays are judged by somebody who's in a poor position on the field and Trey Flowers twice yesterday showed phenomenal technique uh, against Brian Bulaga off that right side and both occasions ended up getting absolutely screwed by flags yeah. it completely saved the game for Green Bay it put them into field goal range don't get me wrong I totally understand I've got, the argument. I've got a touchdown on the previous drive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but look, the, don't get me wrong. I absolutely agree with the argument that the Detroit Lions helped cost themselves the game last night. We're going to talk about teams costing themselves games in the Browns and Chiefs later on. 
they absolutely cost themselves the game in terms of not converting on those long drives, having such bad red zone conversion this season. Five field goals, just one of those you turn into a touchdown, considering two of them were from I think, 21 and 26 yards. Of course, the Lions are not in any way, uh, uh, should anyway be let off the hook for this performance. But those two penalties were so egregiously badly called that they have a right to be annoyed. I mean, it, you know, Jack Del Rio on Twitter pointed out the the four penalties he was he was most angry. At. Obviously, the two on Flowers, which I mean, I haven't watched Trey Flowers for many years. You should never ever call a, call a penalty on him because his technique is always so flawless. That is literally what he is as a player. Like, so to have two against him is particularly upsetting for me because I just love the player. But yeah, I mean. You say, I, I, I agree to an extent on the Lions, but at the end of the day, the Lions moved the ball on a very good defence all game. You can't always score. You know, Green Bay did a good job in the, in the red zone on defence. And we're, we're talking the difference between a two-score win here and a defeat. I mean, it's. I think we can all accept the odd call. You know, one call in a game that's significant, maybe not as big as something like the Rams and Saints last year. But when it's four against one team yeah. in one game and it's a home team, and it's the Packers, you know, it, it just stinks a little bit. And and I'm not suggesting there's anything untoward, because I'm sure there isn't. But it, it was so egregiously against one team. And and Del Rio points out, you know, jobs are on the line. They are on the line. I mean, this, this game could very, very easily be, be the difference between Detroit going to the playoffs and not this year. You know, that you're about to take the lead in the division. You're going to have a tiebreaker on the road against... One of you, well, it, every team in that division is a rival for the playoffs. It, it just stinks. It really, really stinks. And and yeah, I mean, it's just it's just horrible. I've, I I can't really remember an example of a team getting so obviously jobbed out of a result. I can think of single players. You know, it happened to the Packers with the replacement refs in Seattle. It happened to the to the Saints last year. But for it to be four calls that you could say if any one yeah. of them doesn't go the other way, the Lions probably win the game. I just think it's it's outrageous. And for me, there should be some kind of complaint process that the Lions can can enact because it just it 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 it, it goes too far for me, four calls. It really does. It's the to kind the of call I think it was uh, uh, just to say to the point of where I think it was slightly distasteful for Ollie Hunter to jump on quick Twitter and put in capital letters five and one, hashtag go pack go. I mean, yeah, we were absolutely. we were five, we are five and one. So, I mean, it, that's just factual. It's not dis- distasteful. It's factual. Um, we've all been on the 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 bad end of bad calls, uh, <laughs> but four in one game is is pretty bad. I think another one that we haven't spoken about is the the offensive pi. Uh, sorry, the defensive pi that w- wasn't called again. I think. The arm of the defender is over across Marvin Jones Jr.'s chest before the balls arrived. It's clear PI, and, yeah, it, and it, sh- it shows that the coaches don't trust the system for that to be overturned. I think they said said it was a one in twenty eight. The streak has been that has been overturned, which is ridiculous. So Patricia obviously didn't trust that it would it would get overturned, and that in itself is a damning indictment on the on the new reviewable stuff. So look, we we were lucky. Rogers had a good second and a good fourth quarter. First and third let's you know, I don't want to talk about it. Other people will, but um I I liked 
Matt Stafford in this game. I thought the Lions played really well, and it's a division where you could easily say at this stage all four teams have a chance of at least reaching the wild card. Well, I mean, it's difficult now for I mean the Lions win this game and the and the in the box seat to win the whole division. It's almost you know with the Packers already five and one and them two two and one. It's almost impossible for them to win the division now, and that's that I guess cuts to the cuts deep into what the, the the problem is. I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? And you know the the funny part to me is the Packers are five and one. I genuinely think they might be the worst team in that division. I mean, it's Oof. it's insane. I, 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 certainly, it's them or the the Bears for me. I mean, the Lions have been exceptional this season. Like, you know, the, the, the albeit all of their games are close, and I think that's an issue. But that that would have been a massive win for them on the road. It's just, it, it really is a shame. I mean, the the Packers have have had a lot of good things go their way so far this season. I'm I, and they probably win the division and potentially. I haven't won five out of six already. The the road to the Super Bowl could go through Green Bay, but you just feel like at some point this team it's it's going to catch up with them. And the only thing I would say on the Packers to to counter that is you know lots of injuries, big injuries. So I mean it comes with an asterisk, but I guess you could say a good win. But yeah, I mean it's just totally ridiculous. I mean you say a win's a win, basically. Win is a win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you move Especially on. Especially with. Devante Adams out and, and everything else. So, Allison going so, out yeah. and yada yada. It, I think it's it's encouraging that when Aaron Jones isn't running well and fumbles the ball, you get Jamal Williams back from concussion and, and he's, he moves the chains. But there are still problems with that offense. It's such a hot and yeah, cold offense, massively. And Rodgers, and I said it to Willie on WhatsApp over, um, overnight, in the pocket, under pressure down the middle and from the sides, really, Rogers, he doesn't seem to have any ideas. He looks a bit like Bambi. There was one sack where he just drops to the floor without even doing any kind of evasive stuff. I think he's frightened of getting hit and hurt. And that is not how you want your quarterback, especially one with Rogers' elusiveness and his reputation for being that kind of player. You don't want him to completely go away from that. I mean, the interesting part with Rogers now is... How big does the sample size have to get before we start to think that he isn't quite as good as he used to be? Because, I mean, he hasn't been in an MVP discussion now for multiple seasons outside of when people were putting him in as habits. I mean, I've heard nobody mention it this year, despite the fact that the Packers are have the record that they have. I mean, and interestingly, I mean, I love Russell Wilson, but I can see him having a similar situation later in his career where these guys who who play so well outside of structure and don't... I mean, Rodgers, for all his greatness, has never been a, a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady who just gets the ball out quickly and keeps himself out of harm's way. And you wonder, has the accumulation of those injuries, particularly over the last few seasons, caught up with him? Uh, or is it just a struggle with an offence that doesn't necessarily fit his skill set? I think it's a fascinating discussion. I mean, he's not he's not a bad quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. He's still a very good one, but he's he's nowhere near the level that, that he was, and, and I don't think he has been now for, for two and a half, three years. Willie, are you still there? No, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm just okay. listening in. Okay. There's it, it, no point in me launching in when I agree with everything Sherry's saying, and you know from our conversations last yeah. night yeah. that... I thought Aaron Rodgers had a bad game with some moments of brilliance, which kind of sometimes... Which is increasingly can, what he has can, now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which you know, sometimes you can get away with, like he did last night. And the touchdown throw was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, the one the, over the kind of the back shoulder fade. But outside of that, I thought that he had a poor game. I thought the offense had a kind of a reasonably poor game top to bottom, although at least having the three running backs all coming in and, and contributing was good for the team. Uh, yeah, I, I think their five and one belies a team that would struggle come January if they're playing like this. I said it last night on Twitter at Ollie Hunter. If you want to read back, uh, you probably don't. But I think they need if they if they're going to really try and cash in on what looks like Aaron Rodgers' last year of being above average quarterback. I think you need to strengthen that offense and especially Devontae Adams with the turf toe and Allison or Valdez Scantling came out of the game. He, he, he went back in the, the, this Darius Shepard guy who uh, fumbled. He, he dropped a, the pass that came off his helmet that was then in, intercepted. He's got to go. Lazard's coming and looks decent, but I think you need to go out and maybe bring someone else in on offense as a as pass catching option, because at the moment, Mercedes Lewis is the best type, catching tight end of that group and I'm including Jimmy Graham and that he's absolutely gone so someone like I know there were trade rumours for Odell Beckham I'm not sure that would be the right option but maybe an AJ Green he's back training now I know he's had his issues as well but someone like that if the Packers are really going to capitalise on fluking their way to a 5-1 and one start and try and do I'm something not- I mean 2013 AJ Green would be sensational but we just don't know if he's that player yeah, I mean the first uh, the, the thing that slightly irritates me with that idea with with everything. It's the same with the Patriots at the moment. It's the same with Seattle, and it's 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 certainly a trap that our good friend Simon Clancy I think falls into a lot when he always says this about Russell Wilson or whoever else. Like, there's a salary cap. You can only invest in so much. Like Seattle, I mean Green Bay as New England have have loaded up on their defense this year. So the offense needs to become a functional piece. So you, I don't always think you can just throw another ten million dollars a cap room at it. You know, it just needs to be functional enough with a great defense, and that's what New England are this year. It's what the Packers are. Mm-hmm. It's what Seattle were in Russell Wilson's early part of his career. I agree, Wilson hasn't hasn't had great receiving talent and and great offensive lines. But you know, sometimes people say that as if as if that's some failing of the front office well it isn't you, you can't do everything you know if you could build super teams then that those then teams would do it and they would win the super bowl the cowboys would win the super bowl every year if it was about how much i can put all of my money in much like they did in the 90s so you know you've got to pick and choose your poison the, the packers are five and one rogers is uh, you know a small part of that compared to when they went 15 and won that season, he was the reason, basically. And I think as a Packers fan, you, you just ride with that and accept that if your defence can play well and Rodgers can still produce those moments, similar to what you're saying, then you should have a team that's capable of, of, of reaching and winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, OK. OK. I, I get your point. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I think mean, it's wishful I, thinking. I just feel like that's said a lot. It's, it's a wishful thinking as a Packers fan that you just want, it, you just and, want and more. We're two weeks from the trade deadline as well. There's always going to be this kind of stuff around this time of year. So-and-so should trade for a tackle with this injury. So-and-so should trade for a skill position injury because of that injury. But it's a 53-man roster. It's a deep, deep squad game. And so, you know, how many times have you seen it where teams have won despite the fact that they've had a big-name player down? You know, as much as Gronk was really key in the most recent Super Bowl win for the Patriots, look how many injuries he suffered over the previous 
uh, three appearances. In Look at the Eagles team. I mean, they had four, five, mm-hmm. six really good players that year who were down, including their starting quarterback, still won the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, just to mention as well, because we've there's plenty to get into from Sunday, but um, in a year where the backup QB continues to dominate, Rodgers wasn't the only quarterback uh, I saw struggling this weekend. I did Sunday night football uh, on uh, TalkSport 2, and unfortunately behind a pretty porous offensive line, Philip Rivers is starting to show some hicks and some signs, and I think after last season they were, what, a... a, a 12-4 and four team and carried a lot of that talent into this season. It seems whatever they've lost there, I, I, I just don't believe in this Chargers team anymore and I don't see them as one of the class of the AFC anymore. So I think that we'll talk through some of the great performances from other young quarterbacks on Sunday, but we've been waiting for about the last five years for the big turning point where that brilliant class from Brady through until the kind of Rivers, Manning, that, that era of time, which includes Big Ben, which includes um, Drew Brees, you know, all of those great players. We've been waiting for the younger generation to, to take hold. And I think we're at that turning point right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the game we saw on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes against Deshaun Watson was, a, was an example of that. You have a couple of guys in the middle. You know, Russell Wilson, for example, is, is kind of in the middle of those two. But yeah, it feels like it's happening. The interesting guy to me is the, the one you mentioned, Phil Rivers. I mean, if I was the Buffalo Bills, I would I would try and trade for him tomorrow. I mean, you did, I still think Phil Rivers could could go on a really talented team and and win a Super Bowl. And and that's the that's the slight difference between what we're talking about with these skill position guys. There are lots of teams with great defenses who just need a quarterback to put them over the top. The Bears as well. You know, if Phil Rivers walks into either of those situations, I would put both as potential Super Bowl favourites. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Chargers next year in terms of whether they decide it's a clean break and they let Rivers... Because it obviously won't happen in season. It's just speculative, what I'm saying. But you, you look at next next off-season, do the Chargers think they can have one more season of a run? Or do they think, well, actually, you know... We've reached the end of that cycle. We start again. And then does that afford somebody like Rivers an opportunity to go into one of those favourable situations and potentially cap his career with a Super Bowl? I know we've got these interviews and stuff to play this week, but I'm just looking at the amount of time we've already taken and looking at the quality of the Sunday games. Should we save that and put it out separately? Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's do it. It Ollie, take us on to our next bit. Um, you mentioned Sherry about the uh, about that quarterback matchup, and it may have been the game of the weekend. There were so many great games actually, and everything every game has something you can talk about. But that Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and I know Patrick Mahomes is banged up, but what a fantastic game it was in Arrowhead, wasn't it? Yeah, incredible, and and. And, you know, Bill O'Brien's a guy who has divided opinion in his career. You know, the question is, can he become a very good head coach or is he a, a bit Jason Garrity, a bit 8-8? Eight eight? But if you actually look at the last two seasons, now, I think they were either 10-6 and six or 11-5 and five last year, um, missed out on a, on a, on a top-two seed right, at the, right in the, the kind of last weeks of the season. And then this year, they've really carried that forward. I mean, there was a little bit of a wobble there with that... Defeat to Carolina, I don't think anybody saw coming. But, you know, the the Texans could quite easily be unbeaten themselves. I mean, very, very unfortunate in week one on the road in New Orleans with Drew Brees healthy. I mean, how good does that look now? We've seen this Saints defence 
carry them to big wins without uh, Drew Brees. I mean, Deshaun Watson basically wins Houston that game at the end before a, an insane series of plays. And then this win as well is, you know, the, the, there's mitigating circumstances with Mahomes as, as ankle injury. But but I thought this was a really similar to the to the job Indianapolis did in Arrowhead the week before. I thought it was a real victory for coaching. You know, a full game plan, exactly what we said ahead of Indianapolis, exactly what we said last week. Teams now are seeing that the formula to beat the Chiefs isn't necessarily just schematic. It's it's a whole plan, and that plan is to to control the the clock, move the ball, and limit the amount of possessions. And that's exactly what the Texans done. And were it not for a couple of drops by Will Fuller in this game. You know, the Texans would have won by maybe 14, 17, 20 points. I mean, this this wasn't that close a game, certainly not as close as the scoreline suggests. And a, a big, big feather in the cap for the Texans, who I think are firmly now, especially having taken the second seed, in the mix for the for the number one or number two seed. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat New England in a, in a few weeks' time either. Did you see Deshaun Watson's post-match press conference from this weekend or from last week? No. What he started doing in his post-match press conferences is essentially almost doing like a coach's film breakdown yeah, of some I've, of the I've plays. Seen, I, I saw the one where he was asked about cover, I think it was like a cover two and something like that, and he explained what he was saying. I didn't know he'd repeated the trick again this week. That's pretty cool. I'll, I'll check that out. It's honestly like he's teaching the NFL about what, how much it takes to play the quarterback position, but at the same time showing his own intelligence, his own maturity, his own understanding of the game. You know, I, I don't think the Chiefs have anything truly to worry about on the offensive side of the ball, even after some big mistakes this week. And like Ollie said, Mahomes is still carrying obviously a bit of a hitch. Their defense is dreadful though. I like legitimately, I thought they, that we knew it had to, take a step forward this year if they wanted to be genuine contenders. And what it really needed to do was go from being the 30th or the 29th, wherever around it was last season, best defence in the league, to just being somewhere around 16, somewhere around mid-table, and then the offence would do the rest for them. They've not managed to do that. They're still absolutely dreadful. Yeah, totally. And 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 I guess the worry is, I, I mean, if, you, if the Chiefs even had a good run defence... You know, you could avoid the the game plan that we're talking about. But the problem is, if you let teams run the ball, they are going to be able to control the clock, and they're going to be able to do it very, very easily. So, yeah, I mean, it's not complimentary, is it? And 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 that's I think that's a, a theme of Andy Reid, really. I mean, there was a spell in Philadelphia, obviously, when he was when he had uh, Jim Johnson, one of the great defensive coordinators of all time. But but since then, you you look at it, and and really, has there been? Has he has he been able to field teams that can certainly in the postseason can can put all those pieces together. Like we always say about New England and the talk about complimentary football. And, you know, that's what you need to compare yourself to because they've been in so many Super Bowls and there's a reason for that. And and you feel like the Chiefs are just too too heavy on one side at the moment in, in every sense as well, you know, in terms of resources invested on that side of the ball. Uh, and perhaps as much as we all enjoy the, the vast array of weapons, and it, it does come back to what I was saying earlier about uh, whether teams could just trade their way out of trouble. Well, maybe the Chiefs, need to think about redressing the balance a little bit and, and, and you know, putting some more of the money into the defence. Absolutely. They've, the fact is they've shown in that offence, even though they've had a couple of bad weeks, that when Tyree Kill was down, they had guys who stepped up, you know, um, uh, whether Demarcus Robinson, whether Merkley Harmon, whether, uh, I forget the fella who had four or five catches for 100-plus yards last season, last week as well, the, the other young uh, wide receiver. But, 
you know, they, they've shown that you don't need to spend big in that offense to make it work. Um, I do think offensive line potentially is an area that they'll still need to keep focusing on. But yeah, the defense needs balancing. It needs help in the secondary. It needs, you know, we're talking about uh, trades are sometimes overstated, but there are plenty of positions where the Chiefs could do with some help if there's some help out there and, and available to them. It, it doesn't work, does it, either? Their off-season moves, you know, the D Ford scenario. I mean, Frank Clark's not playing well. And, you know, it's amazing. I was just watching back some Seahawks and Jadavion Clowney now is really jumping off the screen. And those are the kind of moves that you need to, to, to go right, I guess. Byron Pringle so, is your man there, Willie G. And Byron just, Pringle, yeah. Just Thank very you, quickly, the Texans in Arrowhead had 39 and a half minutes of the football. The Kansas City Chiefs wow. had had 20 and a half minutes. That's where the game was won and lost. The Texans' ability to control the ball, keep the Kansas City defense on the field. A defense which is, isn't is great, but a, a defense that gets more and more tired is uh, becomes even worse. So, I should say, how do you beat Pat Mahomes? You don't let him on the field. Exactly. It's as simple as exactly that. Exactly right. Um, right. So from two quarterbacks taken in the same draft going head to head to two quarterbacks taken one and two who both couldn't be, could be not on their teams next season. Jameis Winston in his five picks in London. Marcus Mariota being pulled for Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. My question to you, lads, are either of these guys playing for the teams that they're currently on when we hit the 2020 season? Uh, I still think Winston has a chance to be, because then what happens with Bruce Arians, who took that job because of him? Um, I mean, I don't think he should be. You know, he did, the, the, there's got to be a, a point where lessons are learned, and and it just hasn't happened with Winston, who who again this season has shown flashes. I would say he shows more flashes than the Mariota. Um, I mean, I'd be stunned if Mariota was. You know, the the problems are endless. The the, the main problem is that he just, I mean. As, as we said before the Bills game a couple of weeks ago, if they can run the ball, it's fine. But as soon as you put them in third and long, it's, you might as well just walk off the field there and then or try a fake punt because he just very, very rarely converts it, which is insane for a guy who is, you know, you, when he came into the league, you were thinking of him as a, as a Russell Wilson type. And those are the kind of situations he excels in. But yeah, I mean, Mario are definitely not. I still think Winston has a chance to be. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't trust either if I was the, the ownership of those teams. I don't think Cam Newton well, either will be will be on the Carolina Panthers. I think Kyle Allen has proven, and we saw it in the game in London, he uh, is maturing as a, as a QB, he's maturing as a, as a player as well, and, and maturing as a leader of this team. I thought the the throw to McCaffrey in which McCaffrey beat three defenders with a juke, a bit of pace and a spin... It was a uh, he. He used his eyes to throw off the entire Tampa defense. McCaffrey was open, and he just switched, flicked it into McCaffrey, and that's the kind of player that you want. This team, the Carolina Panthers team, is more rounded with Allen in it, and it's not the Cam Newton show. And I love Cam; I'm a big fan of Cam, but it's he makes it about him, and this is now is about a really stellar, really strong defense, which absolutely obliterated the Buccaneers with, like you said, with those five takeaways. And the doubly terrible news for Jameis Winston after throwing five interceptions, seven turnovers in total for that Buccaneers team against the Panthers, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 
is that Cam Newton could be also be hitting the free agency market. If Cam Newton does hit the market as well, but is looking healthy after not having this season off, and I do think it's a genuine possibility, you're going to have Cam Newton available, you're going to have Winston available, you're probably going to have Marcus Mariota available as well. Bad news for Mariota as well, to be fair, because I think if Cam's healthy, it's quite a clear one, two, three to me. I also think it's a one, two, three on how likely they are to still be on their team based on that quality. But yeah, if, if all three end up hitting free agency, it wouldn't be that stunning, but it would be the, the kind of most talented quarterback market, I guess, that we've had in free agency for a long time, even though none of them are a, uh, are a guaranteed shot. You are talking about an MVP, a former number one overall pick, and you know there are coaches and GMs who are arrogant enough to believe that the situation they were in wasn't right. I can get the best out of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I do slightly disagree with, with Ollie on Cam. Yeah, I mean, I, I do slightly disagree with Ollie on, on Cam. You know, I, I, if they can get him back healthy, which is something we've not seen for 18 months, I, I would 100% get him back in the lineup immediately. I mean, we'd, I, I just think, you know, the Kyle Allen story's been amazing, but the story is how good their defence has been. And, and McCaffrey, like, McCaffrey didn't have a great game in London. I think he was about one or two yards of carry, but he, he makes enough players a game. He scored two touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. He makes enough <laughs> players a game that even on those days where statistically he isn't amazing on every snap, he, he does enough. I, I mean, I, I don't think outside of the, the Arizona game, Kyle Allen's been anything special. I mean, I think he's been solid and he, he hasn't turned the ball over. I'd, I'd, I mean, Carolina's offense wasn't great in this game on Sunday, which is a testament to how terrible Jameis Winston was. I mean, they must have had, was it 200, 300 yards of offense? It wasn't like a, a huge number, you know. The, what, the it, Panthers? Yeah, it really belies the amount of points they scored. It was only 206 yards of passing, I think it was, to Jameis Winston who hit the 400 mark. And yeah. things, why, the, different, the difference, though, with the Panthers is, when you're saying about the Kyle Allen situation, is when I talk about Cam Newton not being there next year, I'm not talking about Carl Newton, Carl Newton, Cam Newton not being there next year because Kyle Allen is the answer. I'm talking about Cam Newton not being there next year because they've had so many injury problems. It's been just constantly overturned with that offense, never knowing from week to week what kind of prospect he is. And seeing how even a, a, an average to below average quarterback when put into that scheme can can do a decent job for them with the with the money invested on defense, etc. It's more that Kyle Allen represents to them. Well, we can go out and take a rookie and look at a, maybe a veteran backup or a and veteran bridge guy and, and still win games without spending thirty million, thirty-five million dollars a year on Cam Newton. I mean, I, I would, I would definitely get Newton back in this year and then make a call on that in the off season. One thing on Carolina, by the way, the last two years. A real, um, a real comeback from North Turner, who I think we all thought was was hmm. a busted flush after what happened in Minnesota. But he's done a really nice job there the last couple of seasons. You know, reinvented himself a little bit. I mean, this is a guy who was the OC of the Cowboys in the early nineties that won three Super Bowls. So yeah, I mean, he, I'm not sure he gets enough love in kind of the assistant coach of the air sticks, but he's done he's done a really nice job. And what's great for them is that rotating cast of linebacker uh, sorry of of defensive linemen there's about six or seven of them including london's Effie abada um all of which are allowing to to come in and out keeping the others fresh and there isn't that much of a drop off when it comes to pass rush or run blocking yeah. or, or whatnot so i think it's um 
all of those things are allowing then for Luke Keekley to have an incredible game behind that and then James Bradbury, Bradbury leading the the um the, the defensive backs and Eric Reed being back there as well. So the defense Jack, is playing Jack lights Johnson out. As well as that a yeah. Career, yeah. yeah. They've got a lot of talent on that defense. By the way, just to say, because we saw him live this weekend, and I know, like, obviously, we love his story and the fact that he is, uh, you know, he's, he's one of our own, as it were. But just actually watching him snap to snap when he was in those situational pass rich situations, F.A. Bard is just a good football player. He's not yeah, a he story that NFL UK have latched onto and gone, great, this is a fantastic marketing tool for us. He's just a really good football player. And, and, and I mean... Relative to experience, he's an outstanding football player. That's the thing. Like for for where he's at in his career, to be as as kind of impressive snap to snap as he is, is is astonishing. I mean, I I tweeted from the Gridiron account last week that this isn't just a a nice story that the Panthers are happy to let ride. He has become a really good player. He's way ahead of where he should be. I mean, way, way ahead. And and you know, it's gonna be fascinating to see how if he continues to develop just how good he can become. Just to say, I think that makes the Panthers a legitimate NFC contender, how good that defence is. But it is an NFC, which is, uh, you know, when we talk about the AFC being top-heavy, what we mean is that there are two outstanding teams. And right now, with back-to-back losses for the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe just one outstanding team at the top. When I say top-heavy with the NFC, I mean top-heavy with an unbelievably num- with an unbelievable number of talented teams who could go to the Super Bowl. We've already talked about the Panthers. We've already talked about the Packers. We haven't got into the Saints yet. You know, the NFC East is, is imploding. There's loads of great stuff still to tuck into. That was very harsh on the Houston Texans, who very nearly beat the NFC's best team on the road. They're definitely yeah. in that mix. Right. Fine. But we've talked about them, so it's, let's move <laughs> on. <laughs> Where next? There's only one place we can really go. And it was an absolute barnstormer of a game. We watched the final throws of it after making our way through North London, back to London Bridge, back to the TalkSport Towers. And Willie Gavin was almost unbearable, more unbearable than he normally is. San Francisco 49ers are 5-0 and after going into the Coliseum and just manhandling the Los Angeles Rams gentlemen. I mean, I suppose I should take this one, should I? Absolutely. It was only two years ago, you'll remember, that we lost the first nine games of the season, five of those by three points or less. CJ Bethard was under centre, and there were people calling for uh, for Shanahan, for Robert, for Robert Sala, for John Lynch's heads. Said it wasn't going to work out. Two years later, we are undefeated with the same group of coaches. People are talking about Salah as being a head coaching candidate, a genius with that defense, with picks that were maligned at the time, absolutely outperforming uh, where they've been over the last two years. We are sitting at a point where us and the Seahawks, I loved this stat from yesterday, we're 4-0 against the same group of teams in the Bengals, Steelers, Browns and Rams. The difference being is that Seattle have a plus 8-point differential in those games. The 49ers have a plus 69-point differential in those games. Sherry pointed out to me that teams are 1-24 on third and fourth downs against San Francisco the last two weeks. One third or fourth down over the last two weeks that defense has given up. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Odo Beckham, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks have a combined 143 yards and a touchdown against this team this season. 
We've got the statement win. Now people can believe the 49ers are legit. Absolutely. Right up there with the Saints as, as the best team in the NFC for me. Um, it's almost like a clever magazine editor should have three weeks ago decided to do a cover story on them for the next magazine. Um, and I know, didn't they, believe, Sherry. I didn't believe. I, I looked at the strength of the schedule and I expected it to all fall down and maybe it still will. We'll probably go to Washington this week and lose just to just to do a classic and switch on. That me. definitely will not happen. <laughs> like that one we're gonna hundred percent roll out. Just so impressed. I mean We we so went impressed. in and beat the current NFC champs. We didn't just beat them, we pulverized them into submission, and there are still <laughs> so many key players to come back from injury. The play calling in this game from an offensive perspective, I've watched it back. They absolutely killed it because without the two starting tackles in, without Carl Juszczyk as well, the ball had to be out quickly. We know about the Rams' pass rush. It might not look like the most brilliant uh, kind of statistical game from Jimmy Garoppolo and he threw that one terrible interception in the the end zone uh, to kind of, in the second half, that, that dreadful fade. But outside of that, he had a brilliant game, getting the ball out quickly, finding the right read, choosing the right read, just doing everything that the Shanahan offense after them. I was, I loved both sides of the balls this weekend, ball this weekend. I am loving being a 49ers fan right now. And, and, you know, Salah gets a lot of love and who doesn't love watching the guy on the sideline? What a, what a kingpin, but you know, it's also good that you mentioned John Lynch because that defense is, is so talented. And you look at some of the things that have happened to that defense, you know, you think back to, Chris Boland retiring a couple of years ago as after a rookie of the year type scene. Did he win defensive rookie of the year? He might have done. Um, Reuben Foster, you know, the off-field problems robs you of another great linebacker. Yet you've got, you know, one of the best linebacker causes in the NFL with with Fred Warner and um, and Quan Alexander, who was one of the, the big free agents. boys. Absolutely. One of the big free agency <laughs> pickups that's... That's really worked out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're comfortably the best team in the West as well. Like, I think you match up very well against Seattle. I'd be stunned if you didn't win the division now. And and as for the Rams, you oh. know, they they they're in big trouble now. That there's a good chance they don't make the playoffs. And I would be fascinated to 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 be um, a fly on the wall for the internal discussions about Jared Goff because if they could take that contract back, I'm sure they would. You know, for 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 a team. For an offense that talented to look so bad is is a crime, an absolute crime. I, and I, I I don't know if they are that talented though. Without the, they've obviously got great receiving talent, right? But actually, really good with tight ends, with Todd Gurley being no, no, I don't know if they're two really good tight ends. They're two think, serviceable pass catching tight ends. I think, the, I think they're two really good overrated, but the two good tight ends. I mean, relative to, you know, if you think. It's usually difficult to have one great tight end. If you can have two good ones that kind of fill that void, then I think I, I think they're really talented. I mean, the only issues are the O line. I mean, Andrew Whitworth, I think, is has fallen off a cliff a little bit, which which happens to guys his his age, and that's that's an issue. But I mean, the main issue is the is the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it's well, just, no, but. but- so the problem for me is that the, and the reason they gave that quarterback the contract is because he did look the business. But he looked the business because 18 months ago, they had the best running back in football, a generational talent. The, you know, you could imagine a running back being MVP like they're talking about with Christian McCaffrey this season. The name that sprung to mind back then was Todd Gurley. He was the whole reason that offense purred in the way that it did. And he's now a shell of the man he once was. 
Yeah, and but I mean, also Les Snead needs to take some take some flack yeah. on this for not spotting the issues there, for not spotting the issues on the offensive line, and for handing out two silly contracts. So does McVeigh though, because I, I don't think any of us are kidding ourselves against the idea that McVeigh is a, a huge part of the decision making. I mean, it, it's it's for me, it's on both of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an absolute nightmare, isn't it? I mean. I, I, I struggle to see an easy way out because what McVeigh to me it, it's going to be fascinating because we've seen so many offensive guys and I don't think McVeigh falls into this category who explode and do their thing well their one thing well and then they need to reinvent themselves and some people just can't do it and McVeigh you know that question is still ongoing now for me as to whether he can sufficiently rejig this offense to to get it flying again I mean it hasn't been terrible statistically this year by any stretch you know they still scored against Seattle the this game obviously they're never but we're going against a very talented defense but you just feel like Bill Belichick exposed a lot of flaws in the Super Bowl and they still exist if not if not more so now than they did there what's that a, a head coach is way too arrogant and thinks that he can do it with a quarterback that he believes in, but everybody else saw that there were issues there. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not having Jared Goff at the moment. He may turn it round and, and look a better prospect against Atlanta next week, but they're not. They don't look a particularly good football team in some of the areas where they have to be to be competitive. Just they can't get the ball to a really talented receiving group. You say the two tight ends, and you've got those three three wide receivers as well, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods, all really good players. But if you can't get the ball to them because your quarterback isn't good enough and the scheme isn't working for you, then you're in trouble on offense. Look, let's move on. You mentioned San Francisco 49ers, Matthew Sherry being alongside the New Orleans Saints as one of the best teams in the NFC. The New Orleans Saints ran out, thanks to a little bit of divine intervention, 13-6 winners <laughs> in Jacksonville. Will Gavin, what did you make of this game? Look, I don't think we need to focus on this one for too long. We talked about this being potentially a, a really good defensive battle. It's what it ended up being. But when the Saints had to put on a game-winning touchdown drive, they put something really good together. Sean Payton should absolutely be in the head coach of the year conversation, if not leading it. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater being unbeaten at 4-0 is spectacular. And with Drew Brees to come back and not having to go through 16 games of throwing the ball 40 times, as they often do in this Saints offense, before they had a decent run game. Uh, when he comes back with less wear and tear than he normally would head in towards the playoffs, this Saints team should be thinking Super Bowl this year. The Jags, I mean, it's an AFC South and it's a tough one. I just, I don't, I don't think they might be eight and eight this season. They should probably be happy with that. If they can get rid of those two quarterback contracts uh, in this off season and decide to go with Minshew going forward, they could rebuild and still have a Super Bowl window, but it's not going to happen this year for them, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. And, and we see that the the um, the trade block or the traded deadline is going to close in a couple of weeks. And Nick Foles is there. Do they stay with Minshew and try and offload Foles to someone like Buffalo? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's move on. Matthew Sherry, I want to talk to you about a game that uh, you and I had, well, all three of us had a lot of a keen eye on when we were doing Red Zone on the radio on TalkSport 2. By the way, what that was so much fun. But the Seattle Seahawks running out in, in a really, really good game. 32 to 28 winners in Cleveland. Russell Wilson once again was was brilliant. Baker Mayfield was hot and cold. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting game to look back on because Cleveland should have won. I mean, they just gifted the game away on five or six different occasions. They weren't helped by the refs in this one as well. But you would say that it was more about Cleveland's deficiencies again. Uh, Russell Wilson was spectacular, as he has been all season. I mean, 23 of 33, 295 yards, two TDs. Still hasn't thrown an interception this season. Had another score on the ground in this game. So, yeah, I mean, just a, just a massive, massive win for Seattle on the road, especially with, you know, having an unbeaten team in their division. They kind of need to keep piling these wins up. But, yeah, I mean, what what Wilson's doing at the moment is incredible. I mean, just just proofreading the magazine, and we do the PFF studs and duds teams. of, And, and through weeks four and six, uh, both Jermaine Effetti and um, George Fant, the, the, the left tackles and right tackles, are on the duds team. And yet, on the, on the studs team... Russell Wilson's the QB. I mean, that sums it up, doesn't it? You know, the offensive line hasn't been great this year, but he is offensive line proof despite not having... I mean, DK Metcalf's having a really nice rookie season, mm. but you think a lot of that is just a product of the excellence of the guy thrown to him. I mean, I don't even think the MVP race is close at the moment. I think... A lot... I, a lot... Well, I think you're 100% right there because there are players that are, are almost because of either injury or a bit of loss of form are falling away from Wilson, who is statistically and on the eye proving a lot of people wrong and a lot of people correct that he is just an absolutely outstanding player. Just He's playing lights out football. He's, he's moving the ball with his feet. He got a superb touchdown with his feet um, to start things off when... Cleveland ran out of the, came out of the blocks really quickly um and then he's just making some some supreme throws look I, we're running long I'm going to move on let's go to Minnesota the Minnesota Vikings will Gavin um 38 to 20 winners over the Philadelphia Eagles and Kirk Cousins had a really good day Kirk Cousins had a really good day and the Minnesota Vikings might have the best one of the best home field advantages in the NFL right now. Like, honestly, I, I keep wanting to pick teams going there, keep being swayed against it, and it ends up that it's the right decision. It was finding Stefan Diggs this week, which was a huge part of it, although Stefan Diggs was entirely responsible for the interception uh, on the day when the ball just kind of went directly through his hands, smashed into his grill, and then bounced up in the air and was caught. Yeah. But... 22 of 29, 333 yards, four touchdowns and one interception. It helped that he was against a Philly defense that is so banged up and so struggling, particularly on the back end with its secondary. Um, Wentz, he had a tougher day than he's had at any other point because of how good this uh, this defense is. And one player we need to mention is Daniil Hunter, who has the most sacks at 46 no relation. of any player younger, very good, of any player under the age of 25. So he's the fastest to reach that 45 mark uh, before he hits 25. And he is potentially on for a, a... If he has a long career, he could be the sack leader all time by the time he gets to the end of it. And yet isn't talked about that much at all. Uh, so just a little shout to him as well. This Vikings team should go 8-0 and at home, which then just means what they need to win three road games and they're at least a wild card mm. team and if one or two of those can be in division they've got a good chance of winning the north as well and they've got that defense the defense is still playing brilliantly you mentioned hunter but you've got harrison smith who is probably the best 22 in the league talking of 22 mm. dallas cowboys 22 at the new look jets <laughs> who scored 24 um in the meadowlands the best things and, ever done, actually a two-point game 
I think this flatters the Cowboys. They weren't in it in any way in the first half. They, the Jets allow them back in it in, in very Jets style in the second. But I think there are big, big problems. And we say it almost every week. But I think there are big, big problems with the coaching that goes on with that Cowboys offense. This Sunday night, Sunday night football in Dallas, the three and three Eagles against the three and three Dallas Cowboys, who have both been ridiculously up and down to start the season. Three losses on the bounce for the Cowboys. Two of them came against great teams. And we were like, well, you know, maybe they were unfortunate. Maybe they'll pick up the pace again. This was a loss against, okay, a team where Sam Darnold being back helped to make their offense hum. But a defense that is nowhere up to the level of some of the others that they that they could play against down the stretch. That game next weekend is an absolute barnstormer in an NFC East, which is suddenly absolutely wide open. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dallas, Dallas are close to the. I mean, they've gone from three and zero to potentially the season's biggest disappointment. Now there is some mitigating circumstances with injuries, but it just comes back always to me to Jason Garrett and. You just it it's the same thing every single year, and you could put up with we, eight and eight when we need an air horn to go off every time that uh, that Sherry mentions how rubbish Jason Garrett is because it's, it's a bi weekly thing now. But it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm still never forgiving him for the for ruining Tony Romo's career, and I, and I do blame Garrett for that. Like I think Tony Romo was for a, for a decent spell of time outside of Manning and Brady, the best quarterback in the NFL. I really do. I think he was completely wasted just ruined by this guy and it's it's just it's just continuing on now with a with probably the most talented team he's ever had to work with you know the Callan Moore scenario it would look nice for a couple of weeks but it reminds me a little bit now of the the situation at Michigan who currently have a, an OC that was young and exciting but looks a little bit in over his head and 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 he doesn't have a guy to guide him I think Callum Moore is a great offensive mind and will will be a good coach but you know you need to work under a good coach as well who can guide you in certain situations. And I just struggle to know what he does. I mean, bring on next season when Lincoln Riley's the head coach is all I can say. There are four games left and I want to kind of smash through them, but one of them is the tank bowl. Now I think what we'll do is we'll, because we've run massively long, let's bring you those. Save four- the tank bowl for last. Well, Save no, the tank bowl for last. I was saying maybe do we we'll just, just bang on our bit of audio from, uh, from we'll just chuck it in just at the end. end. All right, fine. Yeah, exactly. Let's do that. Well, well, we'll we'll hear from the 49ers later on in the week. The 49ers players later on in the week. But um let's the the Carolina the sorry, the Atlanta Falcons losing thanks to a Matt Bryan missed point after touchdown. PAT. It was a dreadful miss. He looked like he was going to cry on the sidelines. They lost 34-33 in Arizona to a team that's led by a child basically. Um, the Falcons back-to-back wins. The Falcons are a dreadful football team, aren't they? And all the more annoying that I have to listen now again on Twitter to Cardinals fans who are pretending that Cliff Kingsbury is the second coming of Bill Belichick. I mean, you're talking about performances against literally the two worst, two of the worst teams in football in the Bengals and and the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons gave up 24 points to the Tennessee Titans who in the two games since have scored seven. <laughs> seven in two games. That's how bad Tennessee's offense is. So judging anything about the Cardinals on this game is is foolhardy because the, the Falcons have the worst defense in football. It's not even close. And by the way, any Cardinals fans who listen to this, who've been 
banging this drum. Texas Tech now have a better head coach. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sick of Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Tennessee Titans there, Matthew Sherry. They lost at um, Mile High 16 points to zero. I know we spoke a little bit about um, Marcus Mariota earlier on in the pod, Will Gavin, but a good win from the, the Denver Broncos, who are slowly but surely getting wins a bit slightly under the radar as well. I'm not talking yeah. about Broncos. The, 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 yeah. the well, that's why I, I brought in Will there, Sherry. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm delighted for Vic Fangio that they've managed to pick up back-to-back wins, but they've picked up back-to-back wins against teams that might not be legitimate teams this year in the Titans, and sadly the Chargers, who I loved so much last season. They've got the Chiefs on Thursday night. It's a great game for the Chiefs to get healthy, although they do have to go to mile high. I think it's a really intriguing one. The Broncos win that game, then I'll talk about them. But until then, I'm not bothered. I think the Broncos might win on Thursday. I thought you're not talking well, about them. Of course, of course I won't. Stop talking about them. What are you doing? Jerry, stop talking about them. There we Sorry. go. Let's go to Baltimore. They beat uh, the the Cincinnati Bengals twenty three to seventeen. The Bengals fall to zero and six. And there's a really interesting potential tank bowl showdown in week sixteen uh, when they take on the Miami Dolphins. But really, the only thing worth talking about in this game is Lamar Jackson, who he looks all right through the air, but he ran for on nineteen carries, one hundred and fifty two yards and a touchdown. Matthew Sherry. Pfft, is, I mean, other than the stats, could you talk about anything else when it comes to Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key is the the last two weeks, Baltimore have, have realised that they need to use him in the running game. I mean, and they do. He's not quite there yet. You know, you're still developing the other sides of his game as a quarterback. But if you use him in the running game like this, he becomes so much more of a weapon. It was interesting to see that he was interviewed after the game and asked how many of the runs were, were designed, and he said 90%. I think that's great. That's the formula for this Ravens team, I think. You know, I think it, a little bit in the in the two preceding weeks, the, the, and early on in the season, as much as the start of 2-0, and they, they got caught up clearly in trying to square peg round hole, round hole it a little bit and, and have him passing the ball more. They need to use both of these skill sets that he has, and I think they're a better team when they do. For the Bengals, Zach Taylor is already being asked whether or not he's thinking about giving up the play calling duties on offense to focus on being a head coach. He's going to be one and done. It might be a bit harsh because they're a, a very talent poor team, but that they are almost Dolphins level irrelevant, except for the fact that, like Washington, they're actually trying to win games. Yeah, I, I've got a sneaking feeling they. <sighs> I think they. I'd love it if they beat the Dolphins to that number one. Honestly, <laughs> let's, let's not talk about it after being so left heartbroken the other the other. Well, day. you say left heartbroken, Matthew Sherry. We were left heartbroken, and I think because it was red zone on the radio on Talksport Two with it was a gridiron takeover, the gridiron show takeover. Will Gavin, myself, and you. Let's hear how. That last, what, 25 seconds from the Miami Dolphins game. Let's see it, hear how that went down live on TalkSport 2. They're down seven, second and ten from what, about the 12? They the could win yard the game, line. Will. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll go for two if they score here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, we all want the theatre of that. Let's just agree on that. Oh, Even yeah. you, Simon. Sorry, buddy. Here we go. 
Any Dolphins fans listening, 087-172-3344. The Bulls Call on us the 11. We will talk you down. Uh, the, right, from the 11, first and 10. 10 seconds left here. You've got to just think it's two shots at the end zone, surely, for Miami here. It's a blitz from uh, Washington. He's hit him in the end zone. If he's touchdown! caught that, it's a touchdown! Oh, touchdown, Dolphins! <laughs> Go for two, please! What is happening? Devontae Parker, it's a great catch. Oh, my word. Please go Parker Does brilliantly to hold on to that. Six seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Dolphins look like they're going to tie it up. Simon Clancy has said stuff theatre. He doesn't want He never said stuff, Will, but that's all we can say out here. He wants Tua. That's who he wants. That's a great throw. It's a great throw. Oh, it's a great they catch. have to go for two. Please. Absolutely brilliant. Is it Josh Norman in the coverage? He's nowhere near him. Brilliant from Devontae Parker. And <gasps> Fitzpatrick is out there. Like he could be still on. Six seconds left Please. in the game. Oh, my God. They look God. like they're going to go for two. Oh, my word. Are they going to beat Washington, send them to 0-6, and, and get their first win of the season? And here is the two-point conversion attempt. To win the game. Fitzpatrick under centre, and it's going to be a timeout taken by Washington. No real oh. surprise there. No real surprise. Right, let's I, I all calm down. Let's else. all calm down. We, we've got the tank bowl. We never knew it was going to be a great finish. It looks like it's <laughs> going to be a great finish. Uh, Brian Flores going for two here is one of the greatest moments in NFL history. It's certainly one of the greatest moments of the 2019 season. Elsewhere, the Seahawks are to the Cleveland 26. We've got Cincinnati with second and goal and Andy Dalton looking to and successfully running in a touchdown. So they're going to go for a, uh, an onside kick, you imagine here. They're down just one score against the Ravens. The Texans, as we are just saying, just need to take some knees to ice it out against the Chiefs. So the Chiefs fall to four and two with back-to-back losses. The Texans go to four and two. But that's not what anyone cares about. There's only one story we care about right now. In the race for the number one overall pick. Fitzpatrick is under centre. He's got three receivers to his left. An X receiver on ISO to his right. He goes short to the left. It's on a screen. And it's a drop. Uh, it's a massive, massive I mean, drop from Kenyon Drake. Even if it wasn't a drop, it had no chance of being a touchdown. <laughs> it's the worst play That call. was called by the team owner down at the sideline. That's their call. <laughs> That's one of the worst play calls I've ever seen. That's absolutely awful. Fitzpatrick under centre. They go for the screen. It's behind Kenyon Drake. He makes the drop. He's never got a chance of uh, of getting there anyway with linebackers closing down on him. And the Dolphins are going to lose 17 What we've learned is the Kenyon Washington, Drake first win of the season. <laughs> My favourite part of all of that was the moment where Matt Sherry just went, the owners come down to the sideline and called that play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when and when and when we went down, when we were leaving the building, we bumped into the guys from the well, we didn't bump into, we went to say goodbye to them, the guys from the Around the NFL podcast, and uh, repeated that joke to Greg Rosenthal, who is not a man who is prone to finding things, you know, uproariously funny, and he thought it was absolutely hilarious. So Matt Sherry. Uh, I think you should have tweeted it. Stephen Ross definitely called that last play. No, he did, didn't he? It was a, undoubtedly a scenario where the phone call down says, Brian, I know you want to win a game, but we're going to keep you employed next season, so call the right player, buddy. <laughs> it was a, it was so bad. It was so bad. Listen, gents, we've run massively long. I know it's uh, Thursday Night Football. Will Gav, you already did a little bit of a, a preview there, so we'll take that as uh, as the Gridiron Show's preview. Any final thoughts before we all bow out and say goodbye? No. That this was a great week, and it was great to do the radio with you boys. It was a great oh. week. It was a great We've week. We've had some lovely, lovely, lovely feedback on it as well. Okay. So. Well, that's nice. That not that lovely for all concerned? I'm off to Japan on Thursday. 
So uh, I love you and leave you. I hopefully will be getting emails from you guys about recording various preview pods and review pods. I'm, I will be available. I'm still around. Um, you know. Will you be watching any of the games though? Because that's slightly important. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Why not? I'll see what I can do. If I'm not, if I don't, then I'll let you know. But yeah, I, I'm on a stag do, so who knows what's going to happen this weekend? <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Anyway, hit us up, Gridiron Hyper Magazine at Gridiron on Twitter at Matthew Gridiron on Twitter at Talk Gav at Ollie Hunter. This at Will Gav. This has been The Gridiron Show.